Welcome to Into the Fire, a Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series. Hi, this is Jerome Davis. I'm the Artistic Director of Burning Coal Theater Company, and I'd like to welcome everyone to Into the Fire, the Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series on all things theatrical. We have a special guest today, a longtime company member, actor, sound designer, and general man about town, Juan Isler, uh, who will be performing the lead role of Lepakin in Burning Cold's upcoming production of uh, Anton Chekhov's The Cherry Orchard, directed by Randolph Curtis Rand. Um, that's April 6th through 23rd here at Burning Cold's Murphy School Auditorium in Raleigh. Uh, Juan, welcome, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure indeed. Um, we start rehearsals tonight for the Cherry Orchard, uh, something I've been waiting for for over 20 years, which is the, to, to tackle a Chekhov play. Um, could you start off by uh, telling us a little about Lepakin? Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about the character, what you know about him so far. I know you're not very far along in this, but uh, what do you know about Lepakin and, and um, uh, 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 the play in general? What can you tell us about that? Well, as far as my character goes, he uh, is a merchant and he comes from uh, a poor family, but he has managed to somewhat make himself wealthy. And um, he's one of the reasons he has made himself that way because he does not want to be where his father and his grandfather were. And so he's managed to get himself ahead. Um, sometimes he does some sneaky things to get himself that way. Mm. And uh, we find out that he is <laughs> still in line on doing some sneaky things mm -hmm. uh, to get himself that way. But um, that's the basics of him without giving too much away about what the what's going on in this production. No spoiler alerts. Uh, no, okay. nope, not going to give any. And uh, and one you worked um, with uh, with Randy Rand, the director, on The Wiz, uh, what must have been seven or so years ago now. Um, that was one of your first plays uh, outside of college. Is that right? Yes, it. Uh, no, one of my first plays. Period. Um, and I didn't ask you to tell the the, the, the length of time, Jerry. No, um, that was actually my two, three, my fourth. Well, I'm sorry, fifth production in uh, local community theater. Um, and my first production at Burning Coal. Um, I, before 2014, I had never done theater. And I did not think that I was going to get the role when I auditioned, but I, uh, I did. And I'm very thankful. And for no other reason, that's when I met the wonderful Jerry Davis. So, um, yes, that was my, my, um, my, yeah, my first role at uh, Burning Cole. So, yeah. I was the one uh, uh, guffawing at your asides to the audience. Uh, and I, so I have a lot to answer for. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, yes, I, I add, I played the lion and I ad-libbed the line. And after the production, the cast members were like, you're not supposed to do that. Like I said, I was new in theater. I I just felt it in the moment. And they were like, the artistic director was in the audience and you, you shouldn't have done that. And I'm thinking, oh man, this is gonna be the worst thing ever. And Jerry came up to me and said, 
did you say such and such and such? And I was like, <laughs> yes. And Jerry was like, I loved it. And I was like, oh, the cast members looked like, what happened? And the rest is history. So, yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll uh, pay for that one for years. Uh, but uh, <laughs> no, it was uh, it was uh, it was a terrific uh, show. Randy reminded me. I, I picked him up from the airport yesterday, and he reminded me that, uh, except for a couple of um, Zoom uh, short plays that he did for Eric Tucker's uh, Bedlam um, in New York. Um, uh-huh. Eric Tucker, by the way, directed for us years ago. He directed our production of Watership Down. But anyway, other than those things on Zoom, Randy hasn't directed a play since The Wiz. Uh, that's oh, the wow. last time he directed a play. Yeah, he's done a lot of acting. He's been uh, getting a lot of uh, television work of late and stuff like that. But um, you know, he's a he's a definitely a jack of all trades. But I was really uh, shocked to hear that. But then I realized that you have to take almost four years out of that because of COVID when almost nothing was happening, especially uh-huh. in New York where, you know, the, the virus was particularly rampant. So so we um, I'm really excited about bringing him back again, and uh, not just to us, but to the, the world of directing plays. Yeah, um, well, I, I think Randy, uh, Randy is a wonderful director. There were some, honestly, there were some questionable things in The Wiz. Um, but he was very collaborative on it and allowing the actors to make sure they told uh, a genuine story um, because in Black history, the Wiz is very, very important. So we were able to to do that um, with yeah. him, to collaborate with him. And then I had not I had not seen him since the Wiz until I turned on Law and Order one day and he was playing the doctor that got arrested. Uh, and then I saw him in, um, what was the production here? Galileo? Galileo, yeah. He did yeah, and saw him in Galileo and it was it was very good to see him uh, in the role of, as an actor, so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one, uh, let's step backward in time a little bit now uh, to, to your early days. You are from Kinston, North Carolina, is that correct? Uh, yes, sir, I am, yep. Famously uh, known, I believe, as the hometown of Jerry Stackhouse, is that correct? Yes, it uh, is. Who yes, is, now is. Coaching, is now coaching my Vanderbilt Commodores uh, to, ah. to nine wins in the last 10 games. So uh, Yes, so uh, uh, yes, so there, there's a great connection there, but yep. A couple of so. good things coming out of Kinston. Uh, uh, tell us about that your early days uh, there. Uh, w- was theater uh, a part of that community at all, or or uh, other kinds of art? There were there was theater in, in my high school, um, and I was not a I was not a part of it. I was in the uh, chorus and I was in band. Um, there really wasn't time for anything else. But I hadn't really thought about doing theater. But um, my chorus. And band days, I think, helped um, shape me in in theater because you know choir, you you have to learn songs, and in band, you're playing, you have to learn the notes and and how to play, and so that kind of helped me understand lines, understand the discipline that you have to have in order to do um, theater, whether it's local or national or international. Um, so there was entertainment. Kinston is also the home of Maceo Parker who played sax with James Brown, with Parliament, with Prince. And uh, his oldest son and I went to high school together. 
Oh, nice. I played sax as well. So, yeah. Did his son play an instrument? His son played sax. Uh, both of had, you played sax, yeah. Yes, okay. we both did. He had a, a son that was two years younger than me that played trumpet. That's uh, Both his sons are amazing on their instrument stuff. So, I, on the other hand, I ain't touched a sax since, since high school, probably. So, yeah, yeah. we're not so, playing. Yeah. Well, can, do you think you could pick it up? I mean, I could. I still know where the notes are and yeah. get a saxophone, get a read. I could. Hey, who knows? One day I'd love to try to play Charlie Parker, do a play about Charlie Parker and play Charlie Parker and actually use the saxophone. So. I know there was a there was a, a movie about his life. Um, mm-hmm. I think Clint Eastwood directed it, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, called uh, Bird. Was that? The, mm-hmm. was that yeah. The with movie? Forrest Whitaker. Mm-hmm. Forrest Whitaker. Yeah. Who's a fantastic actor. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> well, another connection here because you know i'm a big uh, e street band guy and uh, clarence mm-hmm. clemens on sax is sweetest sound i've ever heard in my life oh yeah so. oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah <laughs> great, great great instrumentalist yeah so um so then uh, college at unc wilmington i believe no college at winston-salem state university winston-salem okay somehow mm-hmm. i had in mind you came from uh, wilmington somehow mm-hmm. No, um, it was and, a W, uh, but yeah, it was on the other side of, of on Rock. the other side of town. Yeah, and and yeah. Winston Salem State. Uh, what was your major there? What did you study? My major was music, and uh, minor was mass communications. So oh, yeah, right. And um, and so having finished there, you uh, you relocated to the Triangle to be back closer to your family, or uh, what brought you this? <laughs> Direction. Not immediately. I stayed in from the time I uh, went for college right out of high school. I stayed there for 18 years and I worked uh, various jobs. I started retail right after uh, college mm-hmm. and then I um, pursued my minor and I worked in television for seven years in right. Salem. And then I got a job in television here in Raleigh. And did that for seven years and decided I was tired of doing television. And um, I went a different route and I ended up at NC State um, full time. And I I am a production manager here at NC State. And then I, one of my nephews decided that I should be an actor and he got me involved and uh, the rest is, you know, here I am today. What was your first show? It was called Mirandy and Brother Wynn. It was a children's show at our Raleigh Little Theater um, in the Gaddy side. And uh, it was an hour long. It was about, it was all black cast. It was about the cakewalk of the early 1900s. Uh, it was set in South Carolina. And so uh, I did that and thought, okay, I've done one thing. It was nice. I'm moving on that, you know, it, it was it was real cute, but that's not going to happen again. And then I was told by uh, Mimi Cowens, who I worked with several times, who I was in The Wiz with. She played uh, Eveline. Yeah. She told me that there was a place for me in uh, Wake County Theater because I could act and I could sing. And I was like, yeah, sure. OK, whatever. Um, but she knew what she was talking about because uh, there is and has been. So, yeah, she uh, she didn't mention uh, movement or dance. Uh, <laughs> I 
I could that I can do, but uh, for so in the last nine years, there's been a little bit of weight that's been put on. So, uh, yeah, well, yeah, you know, me, yeah. me too. Um, more than nine years, though, worth, I'm afraid. Um, one, uh, <laughs> all of that uh, sounds great. I just, I'd love to get into your mind that first day you went to audition uh, at Raleigh Little Theater for that play. Uh, could you do you remember what that was like? What that experience was like walking into that building for the first time? I do, and it was probably different than most people because I thought I was going to pick up my nephew, and I walked in and I was asked my name, and I said I'm one. I said yeah, I'm one, and they said read this, and I read it to myself, and they said no, read it out loud, and I read it out loud, and they said no, read it as if you're that person. And I did that, and there was a gentleman sitting beside Linda, uh, uh, Linda Young, and he said, "Can you sing?" And I said, "Yes." And he played up a scale, eight notes up a scale, eight notes back down, and he said, "You got the part." <laughs> Who are you, and what part are you speaking of? Yeah. And they were like, "The rest of the cast is in there. You have the you play in the part of the uh, of the old man." Oh, okay. I what? And so that happened. But I think the, the probably the one experience that really um, let me know that maybe I had something was the burning cold experience of auditioning for The Wiz. Um, I had my resume. My resume had three things on it. That was it. And I had never really done the whole, you know, uh, picture with the, the print on the back of your, of your work. And I was looking over the shoulder of other people who are auditioning and I'm seeing two pages worth of performances. And I was like, maybe I should leave. And about the time that I was pretty much sure that I was about to walk out the door, my name got called. And I said, well, okay, let me just go ahead and embarrass myself. And I went in and auditioned and uh, I, I walked in and there were, I think there were five people sitting there um, looking at me audition. And I did a brief monologue and um, I sang a song and then I left and I was like, okay, well, you know, it was nice doing it, but I'm sure nothing is going to come of it. And next thing I know, I, I got the part. So um, it was, it, it was a, a wonderful experience because it kind of changed me to say, I'm, I'm just going to do it. You know, the, the worst they can tell me is no. But if I never do it, then the worst is I could have done something. So. What, uh, what um, did you know? Uh, were you familiar with the part uh, that you ended up getting? In The Wiz or? Yeah. In, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I know The Wiz backwards and forwards. Backwards and forwards. I, yeah. So it was, it was also, it was great that it was familiar territory for me as well. So, oh yeah, I, I knew that one. Was that, a, was that a part you were hoping to to get when you went in? Or? Yes. Yeah. It, it, it was a, a dream role that I wanted to do. Uh, and, and it's funny that you ask about that because now um, my, my theater experience and knowledge was very limited when I got the part of the Wiz, you know, when I started theater. Um, and so I had certain dream roles that I wanted to have. And I've been fortunate that I've actually accomplished them. But again, uh, there again, my my world was small. Um, and so 
now everything that I'm in or everything that I participate in is, is just like a bonus um, from the dream role. I, I've learned so much more by saying, yes, I'll do that. I've never heard of the play before, but why not? And so I've learned to love theater even more as a result of it. Juan, you've, um, uh, that's a, a good segue, I think, into the next part of um, this discussion. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about your um, political um, activities uh, of late, uh, um, the, the torn uh, uh, presentations that you do uh, with Belt uh, Beltline to Bro to Broadway, mm -hmm. um, and um, and and if you could talk about that a little bit, but also how you see that fitting or or perhaps not fitting with your art. Um, okay, so Torn stands for Theater on Racial Negativity. Um, it started after the death of George Floyd during the pandemic, and uh, I was asked by Lauren Van Hemert, who runs Beltline and Broadway, if I would do a panel discussion on racism. And I came up with Torn and I said, sure. And she wanted it to be, she originally asked me to do an all black panel. And I said, no, I'm, I'm not gonna do that. That's a finger pointing session. And I didn't want it to be a finger pointing session. I wanted it to be a learning session, not just for the viewers, uh, but for the panel as well. And I felt like with a diverse panel, then I would get a diverse audience to view it. Um, and so we started and I wanted the first hour to be about racism in the country and then I wanted to say, well, in the world. And then I wanted the second hour to be about racism in theater, um, which is not always just out front in your face. Sometimes it's it's just things that happen and they because they've always happened. And it was very successful, uh, even more successful than I thought. And it's been helpful. I was told by some that it was gonna be hurtful for my, my uh, theater career, but it hasn't. It's been helpful because uh, theaters are now doing uh, DEIB, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging um, seminars and having committees in their uh, theater, which, I, which is great. And I've been invited to participate in different theaters as a result of it, to see how things are going. And, and I'm, when I say participate, I mean as an actor, uh, as a sound designer, and to see that you know they're trying to um, be more in, uh, inclusive and have more belonging of their cast members. Uh, and it, it's kind of a little, kind of a little funny that about that same time the Chicago Code of Standards came down. So it all kind of just kind of work together to uh, to do that. And I think one of the great things is I've uh, been able to establish the fact that I can say, you know, what needs to be said without repercussion, without negative repercussions coming to me. And that hasn't always been the case. And it still may not be the case for some. Um, they may not feel that way, but I try to make people understand that you you have certain rights even if it is a play, even if it is community play, um, and your feelings should be known. Our our theater is is supposed to be mind shocking sometimes to the audience, which it and, and it is. But I find that it, it's kind of crazy that we want to do plays that shock uh, the people in the audience and wake them up, but we don't do it as far as cast and crew. 
And I'm like, so that's not real. So yeah, so it's 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 been a wonderful experience to deal with that. It was scary. It, it was definitely scary at first because I thought, well, this is going to end theater for me, but I got to do what I got to do. So. Well, um, I, talk to me a little bit about the belonging aspect. Uh, the DEI um, uh, are concepts that have been uh, talked about quite a lot over the last few years, but the, but adding the B at the end, uh, belonging is a new one to me. Uh, explain to me what that, that idea is. So I, with DEI, a lot of people thought the in, in, uh, inclusivity was enough to handle it. And so it was like, well, you know, if they're, 10 people in the room and nine of them are, are black and there's one white person. Uh, I'll go as far as this, to do it that way. Um, then they're in the room, but it does no good with the person being in the room if they're not, if they're excluded from the things that are going on in the room. You want them to belong too as well. So if there's something that they like or they do, that maybe those other nine don't, then how can we make that person feel comfortable to be here? We let them in the room, but now how do we make them feel comfortable once they get in the room? Include It's not just about including, it's about making them feel like they belong there. Um, is, it, is, it, is part of it a decision-making, allowing a minority, um, small M minority uh, voice uh, when decisions are being made, when when the the larger and the smaller decisions in an organization are being made, it is it is it's definitely that. I, one other thing about it is a lot of times the 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 the, the head, I, I guess I should say, or the leadership will make the decision for the minority mm-hmm. without including the minority in before they make the decision. And that's a, a perfect example. Um, and I'll go back to say if it's all 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 white and maybe one black, to have food there and just assume that well the black person is going to want chicken, so we're going to have chicken there. And then the black person gets there and is like, well I don't want chicken. Um, I want this, and you don't have that in either. But you didn't ask me what I would like to have. You ask other cast members what they would like to have for the, for the you know, food for the break or whatever, but you didn't ask me at all. And so it, they're included, but they don't necessarily feel like they belong. Um, and it's, it, it is something new, um, but it, at first I heard it and I was like, okay, well, we, well here we go. We're adding more letters, but it more, makes- More letters. We're running out of letters. <laughs> Yes, but it makes a lot of sense as to yeah. why it is there. So. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I like that uh, idea a lot. I think that's a, that's a very profound um, idea. I want to run it a little bit further up the, the ladder. Um, so, um, you know, ca- catering an event uh, uh, seems uh, obvious, uh, but what, what about when you're talking about decisions? I'm going to put myself out here on the on the edge here and ask this, when you're talking about decisions about play selection, which is really the, the, the beginning point of conversations between a, a theater and, and the broader community, mm-hmm. um, 
how do you, how does does it work there too? Do you think is it possible in that context? Yes, it uh, it definitely works there. Uh, I think, um, and it, it might require just a little bit more work from some of the theaters, but I know that they have play reading committees, and uh, a lot of theaters try to be diverse in the in the people that read the plays. Um, but I think some in some cases, getting um, a discussion going with the community at large, not not you know not hundreds of people, but maybe a, a, a twenty person panel. It's kind of like they do TV shows, and mm -hmm. introducing them to the work before it's actually being put on to see what their reaction yeah. see, see what their reaction is. You know, yeah. most of the play reading committees now, at least here that I've seen and I've been a part of, are theater people. Well, now that I'm a part of theater, I actually do see things differently than I did 10 years ago before I got in theater. And sometimes it's good to get that reaction from those people that aren't necessarily involved in theater. Like I know with, as a theater person, I know what this play is trying to invoke and what, what it's trying to do, but I'm not gonna be the one paying the $25 to see the play. Right. And so sometimes just having that, you know, especially if it's a play that maybe an artistic director thinks is controversial. I'm like, ah, maybe I need to, you know, the way is no, you, you don't need it for that. But something <laughs> that's, come on. Um, but the, something jury, that, the jury is not out on the whiz. Yeah, yeah, no, you, you don't need to do anything for that. But, um, or even the Wizard of Oz, but uh, something else that's, that's yeah. like, mm, this is causing some controversy. This is gonna bring some things up. Let's talk with some people, not to say whether we should or shouldn't do the play, but how their ideas on how they feel like it should be approached. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very helpful. Uh, so. Okay, good, good. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's an interesting thought and one that I will, uh, I will put forward uh, on the front burner uh, going forward. Uh, Juan, thank you for that. Um, um, then coming back around, we're reaching our um, half hour point uh, where we try to more or less stick to. Uh, mm -hmm. Just uh, lastly, um, the, the coming back around to the cherry orchard a bit, mm -hmm. if you don't mind in conclusion, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the the larger theme of of the play has that is that something as an actor you even think about or um or it, it, do you try to focus solely on the the objectives of your character um there's a famous saying about uh, Chekhov's work um, which was uh, that in Chekhov nothing happens except that one society ends and another begins um, uh, which I think is is most uh, true of the cherry orchard. Is that the kind of thing that matters to you when you're when you're immersing yourself in a role, or or do you just start thinking about the the needs and wants of the particular character you're playing? Um, I, well, first thing I try to get to know my character, and I make a backstory for my character, and then I see where the play wants to go, and what. Um, lessons my character can help people to understand and see. And um, I definitely pattern my character's background story to where the story ends up. And I look to see if I can find the message of what the um, 
the playwright or author uh, wants to convey in the story. I try to read Cliff Notes. I try to read Wikipedia, even though I know Wikipedia ain't always the best, but I, I try to read things online mm-hmm. that are from the playwright about the play and what their thoughts are and what their intent was. And then I, you know, I definitely go back and see if I'm able to get out of what I'm reading from what they said their intent was. And if I am, then I, uh, you know, then I feel like I'm doing a good job. And so I try to do that. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so that's what I do. Have you ever had the experience now that you have uh, quite a number of plays under your belt? have, Have you ever had the experience of, of discovering something about a character that feels to contradict all of that other stuff that's out there about the play or about the character? There have been a few at, at first where I'm like, I, I don't understand what this is doing. What what where? But generally, once we get into reading of it and the process, then I'm like, oh, okay, I get it now. I totally understand. So yeah. So we uh, we had a production. Um, years ago of um, the the taming of the shrew um, which is a notoriously sexist uh, um, story uh, but there was a line near the end of the play that that has never in any production I've ever seen been emphasized uh, and I won't bore you with the details but essentially uh, Petruchio is offered money for his success uh-huh. with uh, Kate you know with uh-huh. tam- quote unquote uh-huh. taming her and he's in his response is no, I won't have it. Uh, and 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 there was something about that that um, that kind of shifted um, my mindset a little bit there, and and made me begin to think that maybe he had an objective other than um, what um, what has largely been uh, said about that, that character. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and so. Um, uh, you know, it could go in either direction. It could be he's even more psychotic than, than we thought. Right. You know, he's right. turning down the big bucks. But uh, right. but it, anyway, it was an interesting thing to explore. And uh, and I, I love those moments. Uh, um, well, uh, is there anything you'd like to say, uh, Juan, uh, about anything you're working on in the, in the ne- next uh, little while that you'd like to uh, push for us here before we sign off today? Um, well, uh, right now I'm um, working on the view uh, uh, upstairs at Interact Theater, which starts this Friday, and then I'm doing um, Cherry Orchard, which I've actually been to see in London, and I cannot wait to get into this. Uh, I'm very happy that I've been cast in a role um, uh, with characters who have Russian names, and I'm an African-American actor, so uh, I'm looking forward to this production uh, tremendously so that's it yeah i'm uh, i'm excited about about this cast overall it's a it's a really strong maybe one of the strongest we've ever put together from a to z so um juan isler um as uh, always thank you for your work uh, not just with us but what for the whole community we really appreciate it and uh, we look forward to what you have next <laughs> thank you thank you so much All cheers right. bye-bye thank you for listening This Burning Coal production is sponsored by The Classical Station. Listen at 89.7 FM or online at theclassicalstation.org. Our production of The Cherry Orchard will run from April 6th through the 23rd. 
For tickets and information, visit us at burningcoal.org or give us a call at 919-834-4001.